0: Welcome to Founders Unfiltered by a junior VC. We are your hosts, Marzin and Aviral. Aviral, how has storytelling for millennials
1: evolved over the years? Uh, I think storytelling itself uh, for millenn- millennials is a new concept. Um, you know, It's an age group that's born in the 90s and afterwards. I think it's a very different group because you know, me and you, we are both part of this group very tech first, internet first, a very different kind of group. I feel like millennials today want a lot more authentic stories. They want to be able to relate to people. Uh, What I've seen as a transition from, let's say, you know, the time of my parents to today is that star power and being a celebrity is not looked upon very favorably today. People want to be able to relate to you, right? And you can see with the creation of so many different platforms like Instagram or TikTok or YouTube, these famous people, you want to be able to see them and feel them around you very regularly versus, you know, the olden times when you'd go to movies or read them in newspapers. So so I think, you know, that's changed and I feel like relatability and authenticity is a thing that has come up as a really big um, point for folks who are millennials. In
0: this week's episode of Founders Unfiltered, we speak to the founders of Pocket Aces, Ashwin, Aditi and Anirudh. All three of them were brought up in professional families with no history of entrepreneurship. Having left India in search of a better life, their parents wanted them to grow up in the West and live the American dream. They lived in New York and worked on Wall Street. But only for a short time. Seeing the rise of Indian talent in foreign movies coupled with their interest in film and media, they decided to come back to India and do something in the space. They started out with a production studio creating films but later pivoted to content creation company as they witnessed the growth of social media. To build a community serving multiple interests, they created multiple brands under pocket aces with a unique content thesis for each. Over the past years, Pocket Aces has made several counterintuitive bets, few of which are publishing their content on Facebook when YouTube was the preferred distribution channel, choosing to go with bite sized content, and launching a gaming mobile app. Today, Pocket Aces is India's leading original content company with over 700 million monthly views. Their clients include all kinds of companies large NMCs, FMCG brands, startups, and OTT platforms. Join us to learn how Ashwin, Aditi, and Anirudh build pocket aces and help to solve boredom as they provide entertainment to all of us.
1: Hey, Aditi, Ashwin, Anirudh. Thanks a lot for doing this with us. I think it's the first time we are speaking to See folks on on one conversation it's probably going to be very interesting and complicated but uh, very excited to learn about your journey thank you for doing this yeah thanks Happy for having to us
2: be here.
3: very glad to be here
1: so um how did you guys meet and what's the journey for you individually as well as together before you started pocket aces and why did you decide to do this curious to learn about that
3: um, sure, I can take this. Through. Actually, the three of us, you know, every pair of the three of us, right, has our own first meeting story. Uh, I think the oldest relationship there goes back to uh, Aditi and Anirudh. They were classmates, I think, from 7th standard or 9th standard onwards, uh, where they both grew up in Kuwait. So that was quite an early Start in the sense that they've known each other for a long time. The second oldest relationship there is actually Anirudh and myself. We got to know each other in my sophomore year in Anirudh's freshman year in college. That was 2002 when we uh, both were in electrical engineering, and I was looking for someone to start a cricket uh, team with, and I was told he was a good cricketer. And then the was he a good cricketer is the question. Um,
1: <laughs> was he a good
3: cricketer? Is the question. <laughs> let's just say he pre- let's just say he preferred. Uh, to hit fours and sixes than to run, and that hasn't changed even today.
1: Good,
3: <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, he was great, and together we uh, built a good team and ended up winning uh, tournaments and things. It was quite nice. And then Aditi and I met, I think, in two thousand six, uh, and eventually started dating and got married. And you know, we've been married now ten years. So that's how uh, each of us met. Um, although I met Aditi in New York. Uh, once we'd graduated college because of there was a large overlap in our social circles thanks to a lot of common friends such as uh, Anirudh and others um, so yeah that's the that's how we all met.
1: And you guys have had amazing careers we worked at fantastic places what made this switch happen from that to this and how did the idea evolve especially because you know all three of you have personal relationships between each other, amongst each other, what was the process of, you know, coming up with pocket aces, given your pretty interesting and accomplished backgrounds?
3: Anyone else want to go? Aditi, Anirudh. I
4: I can take that. Yeah, I think for us, there are a few different factors that really came together, right? Having grown up as typical sort of expat kids where we, we came back to India every year, we were part of the India story in many ways. We just saw that Other countries were just growing tremendously fast on Indian talent, essentially. Whether you look at the United States or you look at the Middle East, we saw people who looked like us and, you know, had similar backgrounds growing different companies in a foreign land. So we always thought, why does that not happen in India? And I think so that was a very big reason for us to consider India uh, as a geography. And then in terms of industry, I think uh, Ashwin had already made a pretty big commitment to actually exploring his interest in film and in in media and entertainment by doing a course in the new york film academy and then coming here and joining a really really large film studio and for me that was always one of those things that yeah if i didn't do banking or private equity then what else would i do so i think you know that's how the initial story came together i think of looking at india and looking at media and entertainment and we just tricked aditi because we told her hey you come and help us out We're to over unemployed people
2: I can take it from there since yeah, he was yeah. uh, talking about how, yeah. how I joined. So basically, I started spending uh, a few days a week uh, in the office um, when we pivoted to the digital model. And then obviously, you know, started loving the work and slowly got sucked in full time. So that is basically when we started Dice Media and Filter Copy and, and really started producing content like you were talking about, you know, consistently multiple videos a week and things like that.
1: Uh, What were early days like? I'm sure you must have experimented with a few videos to see if this actually works as a model. I know you mentioned Dice Media and Filter Copy. Was there a plan that, hey, you know, we'll bring this all under an umbrella or it was just like, let's start these videos, see if they work. And then, you know, it goes out and probably becomes a business. So what what was the early days uh, origins like? Very curious to understand that.
3: You know, the origin of the journey was actually from film, right? Because I'd spent some time uh, working in film. I'd set up a studio for Times of India, which is now called Jungli Pictures. Uh, at the time, we didn't have a name yet. And my whole thesis when I left was that, look, um, I think that the market is going to become one that favors content creators or content sellers. And if you start a production company or a studio of some sort, and you can start creating content Quickly and build uh, credibility for your brand. Then over time, you can think of how to build distribution. Uh, it was a much broader point of view, and, and Anirudh and I were working towards that in the first year. This is before uh, we pivoted to digital, and, and Aditi joined us. And the pivot to digital happened because we got greedy. Because we said, "Dude, there's so much uh, distribution available out there. Social platforms are gonna, you know, just totally take over." And you know, by then, even though Jio hadn't launched or anything, you'd heard that it was coming, right? You'd heard of the plans that Alliance had to. Uh, make data very accessible and cheap, and so you knew that you know if if it succeeded, then it was going to go crazy. If, even if it failed, um, it would still find a way to bring the price down because those price wars would would leave everybody selling for lower prices. So we thought there was a good move to do digital. And then the minute we we went from a production studio to a content creation company, then a strategy level, it didn't make sense to just go with one brand because you wanted to then. Uh, build communities on social and to do that you would have to you know have different brands that serve different purposes and b you can't you can't really build a consumer-facing brand called pocket aces <laughs> frankly the name is just not conducive to that because you know people aren't familiar with poker as much uh especially you know six or seven years back they weren't as much as they are even today and so it wasn't an easy name that just rolled off the tongue right so we would really you know we said look let's create easier to understand easier to recognize easier to identify brands and then let's come up with the content thesis for each brand right so we started uh, dice media and, and our whole purpose in the beginning you know uh was just to create long-form shows we thought that there was a dearth of quality storytelling in the long format there was good stuff for you know and especially if you looked at television it catered to kind of an older female demographic at the time and or you could do sports which was obviously catering to uh, predominantly males or news um, or reality which catered to the family right but there was nothing in the fiction space that catered to uh, both genders uh, especially younger audiences so we felt that let's start dice and let's create cool seasonal format shows you know stamp it web series web series both common phrase oh yeah, stamp it people didn't have a good sense for what it was and you know, that American concept of X number of episodes a season and then every year you have a new season. Uh, so we kind of tried to pioneer that. So we did Not Fit in twenty fifteen. And as we were while we were producing Not Fit, with the rest of the time we had, we started creating a couple of short sketches, you know, just to get our muscles going. Um, so we were extremely fortunate and um I think it was fortuitous, but also uh, interestingly, planned that our first ever video, which was a short video called Ban Ban on Dice Media, um, turned out to be completely viral, right? What happened was that it coincided with just public sentiment around a bunch of things that were getting banned in the country. You know, ek time maggie ban, orata, padani, kuch aur ban, orata, beef ban, orata, porn ban. Orata. So people were getting frustrated and we kind of tapped into that. The other thing that really worked was that we decided to take a counterintuitive bet on Facebook being able to distribute video better than youtube because if you remember at the time the strategy was create a video on youtube take that url put it on facebook and share it with your friends and we knew that facebook was going to create a video product that year and if the minute they did that they would just you know suppress just suck the oxygen out of any youtube traffic right whatever they could um so we took like a forward-thinking bet there saying that facebook's going to you know kill video for a few years and let's kind of build on on the back of that so that was a smart strategy in hindsight. And uh, you know, Banban, ban. Uh, our expectation was if we hit a uh, hundred thousand views, uh, we'll take the team out for beers. Uh, we were a small team back then, you know, uh, eight or ten people. And instead, that video ended up doing a million views in three days, completely organically to the point where people from Facebook reached out to us saying, dude, this is uh, the best validation of our newsfeed that we could get. Uh, and we'd love to kind of work more with you guys and see if you can create more regular content. So that kind of really spurred us on. We thought, hey, there's, there's a, clearly a market for short form you know, video content, and we can tell these stories interestingly. And then Just the exact diametric opposite of the fortuitous start we had was what the next three months were like, because we launched filter copy. And we said filter copy is going to be a concerted effort to do short form sketches, but do them regularly, right? Week on week, we'll have a sketch out, we'll have multiple formats, uh, different types of content. And you won't believe everything we did just didn't really work from you know ban Band came out in september and between september and december everything on filter copy just kind of didn't do that well for us uh, and i wouldn't say it bombed because it was a new channel we were consciously building that but It definitely didn't do well. We didn't see any virality. And then we spent a lot of time in that period trying to understand why and trying to understand, you know, the stuff that we talked about earlier, like repeatability uh, of successes. How do you engineer something to do well? And then how do you repeat that success time and again uh, or improve the probability of that? So really, those three or four months were really hard because, you know, we were still trying to figure it, figure everything out. Um, and I think once we arrived at a very clear thesis, I think it was by the end of December, um, and we put that into action, by Jan, things changed dramatically because in Jan, we had our first true blue viral hit that we had anticipated would go viral because it, it was engineered and planned that way, right? And that was a video called on filter copy called confusing things girlfriends say uh, which went on to do i think 20 plus million views i don't know the number today uh, because it's been uh you know five years but i think it was uh, north it's it's probably much higher now uh, and that's when the whole journey started in that whole repeatable kind of consistent performance that you mentioned
2: i just to add to what ashwin is saying basically because of our backgrounds whether it's in engineering um, or mainstream finance, I think one of the things that when we, even when Ashwin and Anirudh were doing the film model, we were very clear that we're in the business of content, right? So it was not even at that time ki ek movie banake dekhte hai, kya hota hai, right? Ki do movie banake dekhte hai. It was always like, okay, this is how we would plan a slate. This is how a slate would look. This percentage would work. This percentage would not work. This is how much capital is required. So it was always thought of from not. Just like a, you know, one time kind of uh, perspective, but always like a long term, how do we create a business at scale? And so, uh, you know, similarly, when we pivoted to digital, we were also kind of inspired by other businesses around the world that had been able to scale in digital, right? For example, BuzzFeed was uh, winning at that time. And the short form uh, inspiration came from there as well, right? They were running multiple channels. They were doing multiple formats that were working week on week. Even the idea of launching Gobble uh, as a food channel, you know, was inspired from there. So there was a, a lot of uh, studying, you know, how what the audience is thinking, how they're responding. So a lot of insights and data getting channeled back into, you know, what we decided to basically do next. And like Ashwin was saying, you know, studying the Facebook algorithm of how to make something kind of go organically viral, right? So why do people share? Why do they tag their friends? Why do they comment? And how we get distribution from the audience itself. This was all very kind of, it was very deliberate. It was not a by chance or a one-off thing.
1: That That's amazing. I mean... Super story. And I think we'll deep dive into the storytelling process. Just, you know, would love to know what Pocket Aces is today? What sort of traction do you have? What's the team size before we jump into the topic?
2: I'll take that. So today, you know, I mean, it's, it's been a, a long journey of five years, five and a half now ever since our first video came out. I think most people would say we're the largest, you know, original content creation company okay. out there right in kind of every metric first it was viewership where we started winning then it was revenue growth we probably monetize uh, larger than you know any of our competitors out there we're about uh, 250 people with obviously the main office is uh, in Bombay where most of the content creation team sits then we have a large office in Bangalore where uh, our gaming team loco team sits and then we have uh, another uh, small office in uh, Gurgaon as well and About 700 million monthly video views every month. We reach about 50 million unique people every week. And, you know, we're working with all sorts of advertisers, whether it's a tiny startup, um, you know, or the Unilever's and the Pepsi's of the world, the traditional advertisers like insurance companies, etc. We're working with some of the largest OTT platforms, whether it's Netflix or Amazon or mx etc and we also have created one of the largest talent management businesses in digital now so clout which is our talent management practice that we just launched a year ago manages i think the largest number of digital talent about 65 talent exclusively and about 100 uh, non-exclusively as well so yeah i mean lots of content being created uh, we're into animation now infotainment Gobble has expanded into other areas of lifestyle, so not just food but also travel, also home, uh, art. and then of course, loco is a separate animal on its own, where uh, you know I think we're pretty much winning the the eSports market. Of course, it's early days, a lot to do there as well. But in terms of a homegrown gaming app, we're the largest in the eSports space right now. Yeah, and I just want to add to that also, when,
4: when you look at all these different initiatives, right, they're tied together by uh, you know, a simple mission, which is to uh, help solve boredom. Right? Entertainment experience is changing every day, so we're trying our very best, right from the intern to all of us who started the company, all of us think about that journey, uh, and and that's how we come up with these uh, verticals of where to go into and how to play uh, in these verticals. and. I think that's quite a bit different as a mission than some of our peers as well, who have different approach to the uh, to this industry. You know, that's why we did gaming, that's why we did animation. When others were not, we shying away from that. We did those. Uh, we were the first, like ashoka uh, Dithi said. I think to work for Netflix. Like, people were very wary that time. What's going to happen? Are they seriously going to come into the market? But we realized that behavior is there for all to see. And and today, you know, even as a company, we still run in a very agile manner, I know, that's a very cliched word, but, uh, you know, for example, Gobble is run by someone who started at the company, that was their first job, right? And they went from basically like an intern to running a channel and, you know, in two years. So I think you can see that there's a lot of speed and progress and growth available uh, for anyone who joins us. But also, uh, we think a lot about different things and we then
0: experiment and take chances, which I think is really important if we're going to remain the leader in this industry. I think that's a great segue into our topic. Sounds like an amazing journey. I mean, incredible what you guys have done in five years. But would love to dive into a bit more. Our topic for this week is storytelling for millennials. So let's start off by first, can you tell tell us how storytelling is different for millennials than what it was before?
3: Sure. I I mean, I I, I can give that a shot because it's actually a complicated question, right? I think uh, there are a few fundamental truths that... Kind of we have to start off with and that helps you kind of base um your thinking to build as you build a thesis around you know storytelling for millennials. I think the first thing is that the whole nature of content consumption has changed, right? Fundamentally how I don't know if I qualify as a millennial or not. I think by the technical definition I probably am, but you know I'm on the older end of that spectrum. And I think in like the late eighties and early nineties, you know, how you consume content was there was a you know, almost a fixed period of time, right? It was appointment viewing and there was, you know, a limited set of screens, usually a TV in the house, sometimes more affluent homes, maybe more than one TV and uh, less affluent homes. Sometimes you would share a TV with a couple of neighbors and things like that. right? So there was a whole culture around content consumption, video content consumption, especially. Um, and today, look, the world is completely different, right? Where everybody has a, a, their own personalized screen. Uh, and not just that, to go with that screen, they have their own uh, favored content channels, right? So the distribution channels are, are so many. Uh, so the kinds of content different people consume uh, is also a huge factor there, right? So there's consumers for very short form content, ephemeral content, long format, content, um, you know, and and people switch back and forth and they do it multiple times a day. So I think the, the, that fundamental change in behavior is the first thing we, you know, we try to understand, right? And um, the second thing is we said, look, if you're creating for multiple needs for a consumer during the day and you want them to consume several times a day then you have to have different use cases for your content right so then you need content that you know maybe when you're on your commute this is something that you can you know watch or listen to or whatever or uh, when you're done with the day and you want to kind of unwind in front of the tv and connect something to your tv then this is a different type of content or when you're just stealing a few minutes between meetings at a coffee break or whatever is a different type of content for that you know, one was understanding that behavior and catering to that. The other was, there was an increasing sense, and you could see this on social platforms and video platforms, this behavior was very prevalent. In the US, we saw it, you know, when when we all lived in the US, we saw this play out from mid-2000s to about early 2010s. And then we saw the same thing kind of replicate over here, where there's a certain sense of identity that gets built around communities, right? So um, people who are part of certain communities, and the communities are not defined necessarily ethnically or or geographically, uh, but also by shared interests, right? So if people are uh, cricket fans, or they are fans of a certain uh, actor, or they believe in a certain uh, political viewpoint, uh, they start to coalesce around, around those common themes, right? And so we started seeing that that would extend also to people's personal identities, right? So they would start bonding over shared experiences. So if they all went to the same college or they were all from lived a certain type of lifestyle in the city or from a certain neighborhood in the city or had interest in the same shows. So we started to identify these communities, started to kind of figure out how much affinity does one have to one's various communities and how important a part of uh, someone's uh, tastes and interests are those, right? Because then you play to that and you create for that. So I think I'm not going to deep dive into it because I think, you know, I'll, I'll let Ani and Aditi add to this. But the starting point for us was that, was to understand the different use cases and then understand how to build communities because the definition of communities suddenly changed uh, over the last, you know, 10 years or so. You know, using those truths, I think, is how we started building thesis for different types of content.
4: Yeah. And, and just to add to that, I think essentially, you know, now a lot of data is available. Uh, you are able to understand uh, you know, what to make, with whom to make it, and that makes a huge difference. We are able to use that uh, very effectively, so that's changed. And, you know, I think the, the thing we've done really well is that we're able to tell stories in all formats. And I think that's really important because as creators grow, they want to do sketches, but they also want to do films and series. And we're one of the few companies where they can continue to partner with us as that happens.
2: Aviral, I'll tell you a little bit about what we're right? Like, because you're asking about, like, millennials and, you know, what they want. And I think Ashwin talked a little bit about the history and Ani talked a little bit about the process, etc. Right now, we've actually, you know, as the company grows, when like we were young, Anirudh, Ashwin and I, like, we would respond to comments and stuff ourselves right and so it was very very easy talking to the audience on a daily basis uh you know over dms and stuff and seeing like asking them what is our content or what you want to etc. But when you become larger uh, you know you need to make sure that you don't lose that touch. So we've actually set up something called like an audience insights committee. Uh, this is not a separate team. It's actually an amalgamation of a bunch of people from different teams about 10 members who uh, on the content side and then Loco has uh, you know a, a committee of its own which basically logon ko phone them on a weekly basis and they're not asking direct questions ki aapko, matlab, pocket they're actually talking to them just like friends and trying to get the pulse of where these guys are spending time what are the new platforms they're using uh, what is missing uh, the mission of our company we say is like solving boredom what more can we do to solve their boredom right how more can we penetrate into their lives and that gives you some amazing insights. A, it tells you whether people still love you or not. Because the excitement when they pick up the phone, right? That's uh, obviously really, really nice to hear. You know, another reason why, we are, why we've been able to uh, consistently get through to them. Uh, because we're always looking at what is the next signal. Uh, where should we go next rather than just kind of getting comfortable in what we are doing right now?
0: Well, that's quite an amazing insight. In fact, probably something that we should be doing more if <laughs> we don't really talk to our audience and it's it's hard to do. So, I, yeah, I think that's really helpful advice for anyone who's creating content try and understand what your audience likes and doesn't like. It's often you know a one-way conversation, but would love to talk a bit about... Creating rep- repeatable content that's consistent. And you spoke about the role of data in that process. So maybe if you can tell us how you do that. Starting off with what are you trying to measure? Is it the amount of time people spend on your content, the number of views? How are you thinking about the success of your content?
4: Yeah, I want to just speak about the first part of what you asked, which is repeatable, right? I feel like there is a especially when Ashwin and I started company, you know, whenever we spoke to people, there was a this stereotypical model of a creator, right? And all sorts of Mediocrity was assigned to these reasons, right? So creators are not showing up on time, they're not giving their work in on time, or creator has to do certain drugs or drink to do this. Like there's a lot of that sort of stuff that doesn't indiscipline, I feel, to mask the mediocrity that existed. You know, we felt that if you're a writer, your job is to write, right? You have to come and every day write pages. I think the the romanticized version of the artist is, is not correct. And you can see that in actually a lot of the great companies that exist today. That the people that run them are not, you know, while they may, their personalities might be mercurial, there's a lot of good they're doing in terms of the work that they're doing. So I'm not a big believer that you have to be a certain kind of person to be a creator. And repeatability is one of our biggest strengths. And, you know, people always ask us, why are you guys not making the same kind of videos? You're making the same kind of videos all the time. The thing is that there is a lot of demand for that. And we are helping our customer by doing that. That doesn't mean we don't innovate. We still try and innovate and we do tons of experiments that I was mentioning earlier. But I think there is a lot to be said for having that discipline to continue making similar things because the more you make the better you get the better ideas you get you understand what's working what's not working so more innovation can happen that way so counterintuitively or whatever that our media has shown us historically the whole process can be done in a uh, disciplined manner much like how you study for any exam or how you uh you know prepare for a sports event so we had a very different view on this too from the very beginning and uh, i think that's really paid off great results for us in terms of Many of the formats that we've rolled out, we are one of the few guys that we, we see a format works well. We are 10x better than Bollywood at just repeating it. And while we're doing that, we roll out a ton of experiments, which help us then find the next big thing that will work.
0: I'm really curious uh, about how you guys do experiments. You know, as a product manager, I immediately think about, you know, A-B tests. What, what are you measuring? Like, like what's, the, what's sure. the key metric?
3: it's a few different things right um Azir, i think so so let me go to the metric and then get to how we do you know data and testing ultimately the core metric you really care about is how much people are consuming right which is what you know what is your completion rate on average right and and the proxies for that then end up becoming a lot of the other metrics that are more publicly visible right whether that's views or it's uh, you know some sort of shared number or likes or whatever but really everyone's you know going for that metric where it's if i have a 10 minute video how many people are consuming the whole 10 minutes. And what's my average uh, consumption? Is it nine and a half, nine? Whatever. If you if you remember the early days of Facebook and YouTube and all of that in India, I think a lot of the creators really just focused on maximizing the view count. And it didn't matter what the retention was. So if you could finagle three second views from Facebook, uh, and better yet, if you were, um, you know, well funded, and you had a lot of capital to, to blow up on this, you would just buy a lot of these views, but then the retention was quite poor. And uh, the longer-term downside of that was that your, you know, eventually your page rank or your channel rank would just keep going down. So, the more you spent, the more expensive it got to spend to get those views over time. So, I think that was a race to the bottom that a few people ended up doing. What we were focusing on was how do we get the customer to provide that for us instead of having to spend money or do it inorganically, right? So, uh, from a consumer behavior standpoint uh, you know almost a consumption psychology perspective who's watched your video a how do you get them excited at the first three seconds how do you keep them going for the first 30 seconds and then at the end of that video whatever time that is whether it's two minutes or five minutes or 30 minutes how do you get them to want to spread that to someone else either by tagging uh, their friends in the comments or by sharing it uh, either within the platform or off platform right so we spend a lot of time trying to understand that behavior Uh, And that's the metric we optimize for. Until date, that's really what we tried to optimize for. I think the way we did it, you know, the initial kind of data and and testing was uh, more iterative than anything else. And it was distributed, meaning that we didn't have a central um, data team that would sit and, you know, mine insights and then kind of mine data, gather insights and share it with the creative teams. We, um, you know, we had recruited a bunch of very bright, creative uh, professionals fresh out of college, right? They just graduated college. We brought them right on for their first job and we trained them on how to think of creative from a consumer mindset, from a distribution mindset, what matters is how the consumer kind of responds to your content. Once we did that, that with the combination of engagement we did, you know, uh, you said something earlier Mazin, about it's conversations have been mostly one way, right? From content creators, it's I put content out, you consume it, we move on. Uh, we had always created that two-way channel, right? So we put content out and we speak to our consumers through that and then they respond to us through uh, either comments or other forms of engagement. Uh, and so we trained our content creators to start looking at that. So, you know, like early insight, for example, very early on, we realized that our content creators realized that we were seeing a huge drop-off whenever we ran our uh, moving logo. So about... Uh, the start of our video in the early days used to have a little bit of a like a filter copy presents kind of logo, uh, and we saw drop off there itself. Very early on, we all identified that we got to get rid of that. We got to just start with the content because you have to reel people in the first three to five seconds. Uh, another time, we realized our completion rates were suffering because the end credits were were too long. And when the completion rate suffers, then your page rank suffers, right? So uh, then we had you know the creative team come back and say, hey, look, let's move the end credits just to the you know we can put it in the video description. It doesn't have to be in video, uh, so that the entire video is as engaging as possible, right? So. These sorts of insights come from just, you know, looking deeper into the data and trying to connect it back to uh, actionable, creative sort of uh, tasks. The second thing we did was, of course, you are limited, you know, by what you can do on different platforms, right? So while you're using social distribution, whether that's Facebook or Instagram or YouTube or whatever, uh, there's only so many different tests you can run because it depends what the platform lets you do. So we would, one thing we did was we scaled up the amount of content we were doing so that we could run more tests right and uh, we would sometimes create videos and target it to different sets of users right so almost a manual form of ab testing ourselves uh, and we would see the engagement stats on those videos and understand which one worked better there was a lot of experimentation like anirudh said in the early days that was carried out by the entire team and whatever insights we could gain from that we would then kind of put into especially into a longer form right so whether it was Little Things or What the Folks or Adulting or Operation MBBS, all of these shows have come on the back of a lot of short-form content insights, which are much cheaper to, to generate, right? Because short-form videos don't cost as much. Um, so that's why our success rate on the long form has also been uh, so good. And, you know, you mentioned uh, repeatability, right? I think one of the things I'm most proud of is the fact that we have the highest renewal rate in the country. For example, Little Things is in season four right now. We'll release very soon. We just finished Shoot. It's the only series in India to be a- at this, you know, advanced stage of a season four. Uh, we've got, you know, What the Folks this year, which will have a season four, Adulting, which will be a season three. Um, you know, so it's just that content level, like, to be able to create meaningful IPs. You know, Ani talked about how Frozen or Lord of the Rings have such big box offices, but our entire industry is so small relative. You have to build franchises. You have to build strong IP. To do that, you have to have some insight to base it on. You can't kind of just be taking blind bets. Uh, so for us, that process has been kind of very uh, essential to, to our entire company.
0: I wanted to ask a bit about managing talent. Obviously, you know, influencer marketing has become huge. And I know that you guys have been kind of dabbling in that space, but also managing younger talent. Can maybe elaborate a bit on that?
2: Yeah, sure. I'll take that. Basically, the whole, you know, talent management idea started much more as an informal thing because, you know, we were working with so much fresh talent that we were discovering and who were, you know, getting introduced to audiences through our content. And of course, we were very close to some of these young actors Uh, an influencer and you know they were on their way to becoming influencers but we used to obviously give them advice and they used to really trust us even on taking external work and things like that so we saw that this was happening organically anyway and so we said okay why not actually start doing it formally and it's a great way to kind of build the ecosystem as well right because now not only uh, are you able to kind of have some control over the content you do yourself but also you're able to put more content creators out there as you rightly said like uh kind of help them grow their distribution as well leverage their distribution for your own content we're also casting them in external work so not just our own you know series etc but also working uh to make sure that they get visibility in films in you know ott content uh, in other web shows so the ecosystem play and i think at the end of the day audiences identify content with the faces that they see in the content so there is a lot of power that these uh, actors and influencers have and uh, so being able to help them grow that is actually quite an exciting place to be in terms of brands working with influencers, that has especially blown up this year, where obviously advertising suffered because of the pandemic. And so marketing dollars were lesser than usual. But the authenticity that these influencers bring, and again, it's, it's inexpensive content, right? Because they're self-shooting, selfie videos, you know, putting out posts on their own channels, uh, not very produced, but still very authentic. It was easy for a, brand manager to kind of make the decision to go with a set of influencers rather than investing a very large amount on a larger piece of content and so that is really really blown up this year so that business is actually doing really well for us and we expect it to continue to grow uh, again because digital influencers they have a realism to them they have a set of authenticity that really really gets through to audiences
1: yeah, I'm curious about one case in particular. I think Mithila Palkar is one of your early finds. Uh, I know yeah. that she was acting before, but I think Drew and her did a show. And I, I don't know if you guys produced. I think you did a little things. And there was another yes. one on news. How has the journey been when someone so talented becomes pretty well recognized? Do they come back to you? How do they work with you? What are the incentive structures curious to maybe learn that in probably a few minutes
2: yeah sure um so yes uh, Mithila was an amazing discovery actually Dhruv uh, Segal, who is the writer and protagonist uh, of Little Things a writer of the first uh, you know three seasons as well he actually discovered Mithila uh, while she was doing theater right so she had uh you know done film before, I believe, uh, Katti where with uh, Imran Khan. But she had never done anything in digital. Uh, Obviously, she still does theater. Um, She's a pretty good uh, thespian. And so uh, he discovered her there and got her on filter copy. And we did a show called News Darshan as the first show with her. And the format of that show was, you know, reading out satirical news of the week right? With Bollywood references and pop culture references and stuff like that. And through the comments on the show and the audience engagement on the show, we realized that while the show was appreciated, but it was Mithila who was actually the breakout find in that show. So after about uh, 10 to 12 episodes, uh, we kind of wrapped up season one of the show, but we knew we had to work with this uh, with this uh, actor again, right? And so that's when the first um, video with Dhruv and Mithila came out, which was uh, Confusing Things Girlfriends Say, which is what Ashwin referred to earlier. So again, wanting to do relatable content which the millennial audience relate to, see themselves in, which went super super viral. Then we did the version two of the same video uh on boyfriends, which was annoying things boyfriends do. Uh again, because audiences said girlfriends ke upar bana diya, ali, boyfriends ke upar And then uh Mithila also did Girl in the City, which again, you know, kind of was a guaranteed success because of she was already super popular by then. And then we did little things. And of course, now she, you know, she's done several movies, whether it is Tribhanga that recently released, and uh, she's done Muramba with Irfan and Chopsticks, etc. So I think it's, it's a very, very interesting journey, right? And that relationship also between you as a creator, producer, and the talent evolves over time. So I think one of the changes that, you know, you see in a lot of uh, talent in digital is like, the first thing they think of is that, oh, should I continue to do short-form content or should I now only do big content, right? Which is movies or you know large series etc and the influencer content that they do on their own pages either editorially or with brands that's their kind of daily bread and butter so i think how the ecosystem is evolving is this way and the smart actors are the ones who realize that they don't want to be missing from in you know being in front of the audiences on a regular basis And that's where the short-form content comes in extremely handy, right? So they know that they don't want to vacate the space. Like you mentioned Mithila, but another really good example of this is somebody like an Ayush Mehra or like a Barkha Singh. These guys are also, or like Ahsas Channa, these guys are also very very big names now and you know they've grown again from scratch or just over the last like you know three to four years and you will see they continue to do short form content they continue to do you know influencer content on their pages they continue to endorse brands and get bigger and bigger projects whether it is film or or ott so i think I think gone are the days where people started thinking, "Oh, I'm going to save myself for that, you know, one or two large projects in a year." They understand that if they vacate a space, somebody else can come and get it uh, and become an audience favorite. And uh, you know, we we are working with these actors to and influencers to like launch their own merchandise. We are working to launch their own YouTube channels. Working to um, you know make them brand ambassadors for, of large international brands. So there's a a whole lot of it's a 360 degree approach of of growing their personal brand and influence yeah i
4: wanted to add to that right you know there's a saying that there's a time to learn and a time to earn and if you look at the actor's journey if you're specifically thinking about actors through short video they're really able to learn and we are able to learn about them and their uh, repertoire as well right and then when they become large enough uh, where they're popular they're We know their strengths and weaknesses. We can start putting them in large pieces of content. Every single person who's been in in a large Dice Media show has acted in filter copy videos, right? So they've really... Shown us that they have that X factor. And on the other side of it, for people who have the X factor, they know that there's a dice media show that can, uh, can that they can be part of. And now not only is it about dice media, it's also clout, which helps them earn more, become better as in the ways Aditi uh, told you. So as a young actors thinking, we again thought from their point of view and said, look, actors uh, or creators in general today are distributors also and so in that how do we help them get to an audience build their own audience and monetize their audience we are their partners in all of this uh journey and today there's no other better time in the history of the world than than today to be a creator because the m- number of monetization options you have are many the formats you can do are many and you can really, you know, go from zero to becoming something really, really large very quickly. was not possible earlier, right? And you can actually see a parallel in the television world, right? Why is Salman Khan on Big Boss? Why did Shah Khan try so hard to be on television all the time? Because it gives them a lot of relevance, which continues to add to their brand value because their monetization always was advertising. Their monetization is not their film fee only. Well, advertising is a big part of it and for that you must have distribution, you must be recognizable. And I think today that's true and that audience now comes through social, through the work you're doing, through continuous engagement, as Aditi mentioned. So we recognized this way before a lot of other people did and we invested in different parts of that chain. And, you know, we have many examples of people who have done really well. And I'm really glad because most of them are not from traditional film industry. You know, it really helped us achieve that inner desire of seeing people from our neck of the woods, people who are not, you know, whose parents are doctors or whose parents might be lawyers, actually make it and have a career in the creative fields. And I think in the next 10 years, you will see, you know a worldwide kind of breakout hit from india as well uh because the writers are writing they're really putting in the hours the actors are acting all the time and that work will show in a piece of content that really breaks out
1: amazing now i think it it sets a context for you know the future for you guys one final question that we ask all our guests are very kind to do this with us is what's one piece of unfiltered feedback or advice you've received in your journey as a founder or even at work uh, that really changed how you think changed how you operate would love to hear one from each of you or you guys can decide what makes sense but you know that's why we call this founders unfiltered and would be lovely to hear an anecdote on some kind of feedback you've got
4: yeah i can go first i mean you know there are three pieces of advice that i remember very very clearly number one was uh, from Chris Gopalakrishnan and VG who run Axelor and they, they were giving a talk together where they said bringing up a company or growing a company is like growing a family your kids will see what you do they will not listen to what you say so your actions really have to be louder than words every single company in our sector says certain things about they are open they are transparent they are a secure place to work but we've seen in the last few years how you know they've let people down but we've not done that right because we've always said that actions are Louder than words. So I think that was very, very clear to me. You know, that really struck a chord with me. The the other two pieces of advice came uh, from uh, Sequoia. One was actually when we were pitching them, uh, Ashwin and I, we met Doug Leon, who is the global partner there. And he said, All the knowledge of the world is not contained in your brains or your company. So look outside and find inspiration and find other people who can take you further. I, that, I've always remembered that because we learn every day from other people, not only in our industry, but new people. We interview other people in other industries and we really applied. Paradigms from other industries to our industry, which has given us an edge. And the third uh, came from Shelley, who sits on our board, and he always has encouraged us to, uh, you know, go for the kill. And I think that's really important: thinking big and swinging for the fences. That's that's something that's really stayed with me.
3: Yeah, you know, I I think for me, um, you know, one of the things that I remember early on, uh, this was not actually one of our investors; it was somebody who we were pitching to, and I I won't take names, but uh, you know, they mentioned that people shrink the world to fit their minds but they think they've expanded their minds to fit the world and that's something that should always be wary of and you know we've always been we've used that to kind of emphasize original thinking and non-linear thinking and you know being very first principles oriented at the company Uh, and that's kind of helped us in good stead another piece of feedback it wasn't positive feedback but it helped steal our resolve uh, a bit more right to make us a bit more uh, steely in our resolve i suppose was when uh, a few of our competitors had raised large rounds a lot of their investors told us that it would be hard for us to to win because they were so well capitalized and i thought that was quite short-sighted because I, I didn't think it had uh necessarily any basis in fundamentals of the business right those two things have stayed with me uh the entire way
2: okay you have many pieces of advice already but i'll give you a kind of different one so one Advertiser, uh, actually, an agency senior exec actually told me that you know, and this was he he was not happy with us uh, when he told me that you know, you guys are creating content just for the audience. You guys, uh, you know, need to keep the brand interest in mind first, then the audience interest in mind. And I, I actually told him, you know, that's exactly what we do not need to do, right? Because if we create content with the audience in mind and we integrate an advertiser or a brand into the content in the way in which the audience will most respond to it, then even the brand will see the highest ROI from that. Otherwise your brand can just go create an ad. Why do they need to come to us who have a special audience understanding that other people don't? So um, yeah, I think various things that people tell you often help you Kind of actually reinstate your core philosophy and, you know, kind of uh, re articulate it. And these are discussions that we have on a daily basis. So, yeah.
1: Awesome. Thanks a lot for this. It was an amazing conversation. I think we won't have enough time to ever cover all we want to cover, but great learning from you and hoping to continue to keep in touch. Yeah.
2: Likewise, for everyone. Us.
4: It's, been, yeah. it's been a pleasure.